From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. You could come to, to some solution that says, look, each of us foresees the possibility that we will be in the majority such that we should try to engage in some filibuster reform. But I think each side sees itself also as likely to be in the minority and um, and not just in the minority, but in, a, in an increasingly, again, ideologically cohesive minority against an ideologically cohesive majority. And so I think that they've they've sided now, it seems to me, with um, doing not very much. Welcome back to season six of the Miami Law Explainer the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. The filibuster. Democrats want to max accomplishments and nominations in the Biden era. Republicans need to save it to block the new administration's agenda. Here to teach us filibuster 101 is constitutional law expert Charlton Copeland. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Charlton. Nice to have you back. Good morning. Uh, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Great. Uh, so let's start off by reminding our listeners exactly what the filibuster and the filibuster rule are and how they're used. Are they used in both houses, for instance? Uh, no, uh, they they are not. The the filibuster um, in the in the House of Representatives was uh, effectively eliminated uh, at the end of the the nineteenth century. Uh, and in, in fact, the, the filibuster was once used uh, more frequently in the House uh, than in the Senate um, because of other um, majority empowering uh, institutional mechanisms in the, the House, the House being the larger body, the House being the body in which speakers um, generally had more restrictions. Uh, there was more resort in the House of Representatives in the 19th century to the filibuster. The, the filibuster, uh, uh, again, as I just said, died uh, there in the 19th century. The, the use of the filibuster in the Senate uh, in the 19th century was was very rare, um, uh, but was in fact used. Uh, and and but but its its use in the Senate uh, has increased uh, dramatically and expanded in its use um, dramatically during the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's the difference between the filibuster and the filibuster rule? You you hear those those terms used a lot. So I don't, um, I, when I think about the filibuster, right, the filibuster might be understood as one form of uh, delaying tactic, right? Uh, that is to say the uh, the, a group uh, of, of legislators who find themselves uh, not in the agenda setting uh, roles of the, the, the House or the Senate, right, use lots of forms of, of delaying tactics to um, push back the passage of, of, of legislation. And so if we think about filibuster as what uh, uh, my colleague, political scientist Greg Coger calls, a part of a class of obstruction generally filibuster historically has been thought to to be that mechanism of extending debate on legislation 
to the point at which uh, the legislation died, right? Either the, the legislative term would end or other legislative priorities would uh, begin to impose themselves on the legislature such that the majority, even if they had the votes, right, uh, would effectively abandon the effort to move on to other agenda items. Um, and so when we think about filibuster rules, for example, um, we could think of those in two ways, right? One of those, and some of them are sort of misnomers, one of the ways in which you might think about filibuster rules is what does what does a, 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 a party or a group have to do to actually initiate a filibuster? Those have, in fact, um, changed. And they're, and they're not really rules. They're sort of practices. That is to say, historically, we understood a filibuster to be taking the floor and making a speech, holding the floor and basically using the traditional prerogatives afforded to senators to make speeches and basically um, expanding on those, right? So you take the floor and you don't give it up, right? Um, and, and, you, um, uh, and, and you remain standing, you don't take breaks, right? You, 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 you do whatever you have to do to, to, to hold the floor. Um, the, the more modern form of the filibuster is much easier than that, right? Filibusters very rarely require speechifying, as it were. They don't re require holding the floor. In, in, contemporary, in the contemporary Senate, they merely require an email or a phone call simply saying that some senator or another objects to a bill. And, and that sort of invokes and initiates the quote-unquote filibuster process. Uh, a, a, alongside the that sort of filibuster initiating rule, there are the filibuster busting rules or the filibuster ending rules, right? Which we think of as cloture. We've uh, again in the 20th century, uh, starting I think in in, in in 1917 or so, the Senate began to adopt formal rules to end debate. Initially. Those rules required a three-fifths vote uh, in, in the Senate. Uh, in, the, in the second half of the 20th century, that cloture requirement has been reduced to two-thirds, which is the contemporary right 60 votes that are generally needed for uh, most major pieces of legislation, right? Because again, initiating the filibuster has become uh, comparatively easier than in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's go back to what the, what's the history of the filibuster? I'm thinking of the scene when in Mr. Smith goes to Washington or Strom Thurmond's 24 hour marathon. How did the framers come up with the filibuster? Well, the framers never came up with the filibuster. That is, that is the, the sort of historical, interesting wrinkle about our, uh, our current moment, right? Um, Historians, political scientists, commentators seem to date the um, the filibuster to none other than uh, John Calhoun, right? The, the 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 famous South Carolina senator who himself uh, practiced holding the floor in an effort to argue against legislation um, that he. Uh, argued undermined states' rights, undermined the rights of property owners, and property owners are slave owners. Um, uh, in 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 Calhoun's um, uh, 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 
defense. Uh, and so he, he argued uh, in favor of uh, the rights of, of primarily slave owners and the interest of slavery uh, employing right the the filibuster in its early efforts to to try to protect what he called the interests of this minority group uh and so again the filibuster takes on its 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 early form as a mechanism for obstruction uh aimed at again enlarging protecting southern states southern interests states rights slave owners rights um and waving the flag of a kind of majority tyranny. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so if I understand, the Republicans used the filibuster quite successfully to block action during the Obama administrations, and the Democrats really don't want to see a repeat of that. Do I have that right? Yes. Yes. But but I, I would extend that to say um, that the Democrats uh, used the the filibuster uh, successfully uh, during the Trump administration, um, and I think that the you know the, the, the Democrats have also used the filibuster. Uh, they they used the filibuster um, to, to 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 a, a decent extent in the Bush administration when when the, the Democrats were in the minority. Um, but I but I, but I think you're absolutely right to say that under the, uh, the, 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 the minority leadership of Mitch McConnell during the Obama administration, the filibuster's use was, was just magnified. I think um, if we think about the number of simply Obama-era appointees who were filibustered, which, 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 initiated the first quote unquote sort of nuclear option as a response by by then Senate majority leader Harry Reid um the 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 historic number of filibusters to which the Obama administration um was uh was subjected to uh by the Republican minority uh it, it, I mean it's really uh, outstanding in 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 in, in historical terms um so I think as I think Obama suffered through something like 175 filibusters, more than than half the total number of filibusters at, at that time. I think, um, but as you said, much of the the Trump agenda was blocked with over 300 filibusters, if I have the number right. So the increasing numbers are indicating a heightened partisanship. I would assume. Absolutely, absolutely. Are, are we chained now to a future where any former of any forward momentum is stymied by the minority party? So this is a this is a great question. Um, and, and so it is tied to a couple of things, and I think you've you've pointed to 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 to, to one of the really important issues that is the increased partisan polarization. Right, if we think about issues across the spectrum of American politics, they have um, they have generally been able to cobble together coalitions of 
Republicans and Democrats on both sides, right? Across the expanse of the 20th century, that was the story. Um, You know, for example, if you look at uh, farm bills, right? Um, Farm bills were interesting uh, 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 efforts to cobble together urban interests in food stamps and rural interest in farm aid and rural interests are diverse, right? They they are milk interest and dairy interest in certain parts of the country, commodity interest in certain parts of the country, right? Agricultural interest in certain parts of the country. Um, and so the Farm Bill sort of rec- rep- represents this huge attempt at, at you know, pork barreling in the most traditional sense of the word. There were still lots of people who were opposed to what they called all of these corporate giveaways to big agricultural interests. Um, and but but they were never able to kind of muster a coherent opposition because the 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 the, the partisan makeup of pro farm bill coalitions was so diverse. Even that has changed, right? Meaning you are getting farm bills that are um, increasingly draconian on the food stamp front. Right. Um, and, and, and so, you know, urban Democrats don't seem to have any interest in passing these kinds of bills. And so you, you are starting to see coalitions that were once cross-partisan become ever more polarized in, in the way in which the use of the filibuster now is, is completely sort of partisan slash ideological, right? So you have United groups of Democrats against united groups of Republicans, right, um, uh, pushing in opposite directions on the legislative front. And I think that that means that each side both has an investment in deploying the filibuster, not just for sort of policy reasons, but for partisan position taking reasons, right? That you've got to actually do it so that you can score points with your folks, your donors, your your hardcore volunteers, your hardcore supporters. Um, and, and I think that um, that makes it hard to, to think about what you're going to do when, even if you are in power. Right. And so even if you stand a chance of, of winning the next round and, 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 and let's be clear, the Senate has been far more competitive um, in the last since 1994. Right. Than, than it was in the 50 years previously to that we've seen so many changes in majority control that that you would think that um, you could come to, to some solution that says, look, each of us foresees the possibility that we will be in the majority such that we should try to engage in some filibuster reform. But I think each side sees itself also as likely to be in the minority and um, and not just in the minority, but in, a, in an increasingly, again, ideologically cohesive minority against an ideologically cohesive majority. And so I think that they've, they've sided now, it seems to me, with um, doing not very much. I, I, again, they've done, they've done some things, and I do want to point out, right, we have seen reform on nominees, right? In, in, in 2013, then Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid uh, again, uh, instituted his nuclear option and uh, 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 eliminated the filibustering of White House appointees um, south of the Supreme Court, 
right? In 2017, then Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said, let's include the Supreme Court, right? This is how we get Neil Gorsuch. This is how we get uh, Brett Kavanaugh. This is how we get all three, because it seems to me all three of the Trump nominees to the Supreme Court would have been filibuster. Now that you've got the Supreme Court tied to this, it it seems to me that 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 uh, again everything's been brought back into again as you just said the the the, the extreme polarized partisan cauldron that it makes it really hard to sort of predict how you move forward. Mm-hmm. So in that um, goose gander uh, quandary. <laughs> So how would the majority of any party be helped or, or hurt by, by a change to the, the filibuster rules? And what is the nuclear option? So, so uh, the nuclear option, to go back, is, is a kind of dramatic reform of the filibuster rule to, to basically say, look, um, we, we are no longer going to allow uh, a, a minority to uphold uh, the, the, the majority, right. Or, 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 uh, and there are, there are, there are complicated procedural mechanisms that would allow even the majority to get around the attempt to filibuster those rules changes. Right. Uh, and, and you, you, again, you saw that in 2013 and again in 2017 with respect to, to white house nominees. But, um, one of the things we've seen that is not a, a sort of complete nuclear option, but, but certainly has been an increased response is the resort to a kind of budget reconciliation process uh, that avoids the threat of filibuster. We see that now with the prospect of the COVID relief bill, right? The COVID relief bill uh, 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 received uh, an affirmative vote along partisan lines to move through the reconciliation process that would allow passage by a simple majority vote. And so you could see increasing distortions of the boundaries of what we call, right, reconciliation. If, if, if we remember the late John McCain, who um, in, in, in a statement to the Senate said, I want us to go back to regular order. And what he meant was, I want us to actually pass bills that, that require and allow for the minority to Way in. And he said this even when the Republicans were in the majority, right? He said, we need to go back to regular order. We need to find our way back there. Um, whether or not that, 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 that happens, I think is, 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 uh, is, is, is anybody's guess. I re- I'm not, I'm not even going to hazard a guess, but I think that we were going to see increasing use as we saw in the Trump administration, right? The Trump administration passed a massive tax bill through the budget reconciliation process that simply sidelined the Democrats, right? And so the, the, the negotiations were between, uh, were amongst the Republican majority and holding on to the most liberal members of that coalition. Whereas if the Democrats move forward uh, in, in, in the same vein, right, this becomes a negotiation with the likes of Joe Manchin. Right. Um, and so um, but 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 um, to, to, to answer the, the, the other part of, of your question, um, uh, how we move forward, I think, depends in some sense on um, what the long-term prospects are 
of the Republican Party. Uh, I think that the Democrats came, I think, into the Obama administration believing that the Republican Party was, to the extent that it was moving to the ideological right, was not going to be able to win seats in lots of places. And so the Senate would effectively be dominated by Republican, by Democrats, rather, in the same way that the presidency would be dominated by Democrats. And then the House would, would essentially be dominated in some ways by Republicans, right? And, 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 and um, uh, Donald Trump's election in 2016 sort of flipped that, right? Meaning Republicans were able to hold on to, to seats in, uh, or, or win Senate seats that the Democrats ha hadn't anticipated, right? Hold on to Senate seats in states like Pennsylvania, win Senate seats in states like Wisconsin, right? And so um, it's unclear what the Democrats and the Republicans see as the most likely future, right? Because again, there was a, a sense, I think, in the period between, say, 2008 and 2012, 2013, that even in as bad an election as the Democrats had in 2010, they held on to the Senate because of really right-wing um, Republican uh, Senate nominees. And so I think that, that, that there's just some question about who's more likely to be in the, the majority going forward and what are the interests like for the party that either has come to the conclusion that it's going to be really competitive or it's not, right? If the Republicans decide that they are likely to be the minority going forward, um, it's 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 the they're going to fight tooth and nail to 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 maintain the filibuster now if that is the case you might actually see less filibustering right meaning the democrats threat of pulling out the nuclear option might then appear more credible right you see what i'm saying so right if you if you could stabilize the majority control in the senate then the, the Democrats have a have a, a more credible threat to say, hey, look, we're going to take this out and we're going to use it. But now, right, uh, right uh, in the in the current moment, who who is the in control of the Senate is seems to be flipping back and forth every you know election cycle or so, and that's just not an environment it seems to me in which these kinds of threats become disciplinary mechanisms. And, and, and I think that's the way they had been used before. It's like, hey, if you keep filibustering, you're going to force us to do this extreme thing with some sense that that would, in fact, dampen the use of the filibuster. Uh, I, I, I think that the current status is might have to await the 2022 elections to get some sense of, you know, does Pennsylvania go blue? Does Wisconsin go blue? Do the Democrats extend um, their... Uh, majority in the Senate, or do the Republicans come roaring back? Mm -hmm. That'll change some things. Yeah. Interesting. Well, as always, a fascinating time to talk with you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you uh, being focused on, on, on these interesting questions, because I, I, I think that they are interesting, because I think that, um, just to, to, to say one final thing, I think that they these issues go to the heart of Americans' frustration with American institutions and the faith or lack of faith 
that Americans have in institutions and have in the capacity of democracy to actually solve problems. And so, um, and so I thank you for, for, for raising um, these issues and, and for inviting me to, to chat about them. Always. Thanks so much. It's been great Thank talking you. with you. Great. And, and I can't wait you. again to, to see you in, in, in with the, with the, a, 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 a more um, inspiring microphone uh, <laughs> in studio. We'll see you soon, I hope. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take good care. Bye now. Thank you for joining us at The Explainer for a whole new season of interpreting legal issues in the headlines. If you love our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's Class Action and Complex Litigation Forum, coming virtually on April 23rd. For more information, visit law.miami.edu.